Hello and welcome to the Monolith Medium podcast. This is a really exciting time for Monolith Medium actually because we had just uh, concluded uh, selecting our top three uh, literary contest winners. The process was different than I intended um, in all of the best ways because when you set out to do something like this, uh, I'm a writer myself, obviously, and so when I put out a contest, I'm looking for a certain type of content, and I and I I had this this kind of uh, format in mind, and what I realized after going through the entries is that I really need to broaden what I want, and what I mean by that is not broaden what I want because of you know, the amount of content or quality, but just because there's so many different ways to express, I think, the kind of ethic and the um, ideas, the concepts behind Monolith Medium. And those don't always get expressed um, effectively through essay or the format in which I find uh, easiest to express. And so when I see, uh, I go through these these different submissions, I see um, a specific submission that doesn't actually fit our format that we had on our website, but just did something really unique. Um, and it really evoked something in me um, about what it means to kind of be um, living a conscious, artistic, creative life. And it also contains all of the hubris that goes along with that. Uh, and I'm really excited to share that. But again, that is not an essay format uh, piece, which is very interesting. It's not something that I intended on doing. Uh, going into it, but I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from the people that have submitted, and I, I think going forward, it's going to be really exciting to kind of open up these uh, requirements and maybe see uh, who else is out there, who else has something to say. Some sad news for today, though, is that uh, it just announced today that Filmstruck is going to be shutting down um, on November 29th. That's a very sad thing for film lovers and cinephiles out there. Um, Filmstruck was an incredible place, or I shouldn't say was, is an incredible place to access art house and indie cinema. And it's so sad to see how quickly it can come and go like that, you know, with streaming services, there is no permanence. And so on November 29th, Filmstruck will will be done. Um, And I think that I, I well, not I think I know that there will be a massive void left in kind of the uh, the spot where Filmstruck was, and I'm very interested to see if there's anything that necessarily uh, fills that space. I'm I'm a little bit concerned about that. I I know that Criterion was on Hulu for a while, but I just don't know where uh, where the other uh, where these films will pop up again. Um, and if you're wondering, there is quite a bit of content on Filmstruck that is not able to be found other places, to see Filmstruck fade away and to see the way that they treated their content uh, not be rewarded is, honestly, it's really sad. Um, but I do think that uh, it's a sign of the times. I think that the way that we consume content nowadays um, is done done with so much less care. I, I do this as well. I, uh, I want content convenient and fast. And uh, Filmstruck was a great middle ground between those two things. And uh, here's hoping that there's something else that, uh, that comes up in its wake. Uh, but for now, we'll all uh, be sad and forced to find, uh, find film elsewhere. All right, so moving on to this podcast specifically, um, I wanted to talk about something at least generally horror-related because it was October, and um, I 
was trying to find a film that I felt like was worth discussing because I, I honestly think that most horror films out there that are sort of elevated have been discussed in some format and in some way. And so in doing that and trying to figure out what I would want to talk about, I, it kind of led me down a path uh, to Jacob's Ladder. And Jacob's Ladder is a film that I saw a long time ago. Uh, and the first time I saw it, I had no conscious thought about what was actually going on. Um, or at least I didn't think about something in more than you know one dimension. That is, this is a horror movie. And I remember reading about this film thinking, um, I, reading about the ending of the film, I should say, and uh, being really excited for that when I was when I was young. I thought that that was uh, really cool. And when I saw the film, I thought it was fantastic. But there was another level just kind of like waiting to be accessed that I didn't really try. Uh, that I didn't really try to understand. And so earlier this month when I was trying to decide what am I going to do for October? What am I going to figure out? What am I going to look at? Um, I saw Jacob's Ladder and I watched it again and I realized how much there is just like kind of waiting behind the surface for this, for this film. It's a film that um, I think wears its uh, premise sort of on its sleeve, but at the same time kind of does this weird magic trick where we know what it's about, but it's also kind of not about what we think it is. That is, we say that it's about, uh, you know, drugs and everything, but we kind of know it's about PTSD. That's at least what is uh, fairly salient to me when I'm watching this. But it goes so much further beyond that because it goes towards what is our identity? Um, how do we experience the world? And to who are we? It asks questions like that. So without further ado, let's start talking about Jacob's Ladder. Okay, so the film Jacob's Ladder plays a game with the audience where the film appears to be almost a conspiracy film about what the army may or may not have done to soldiers in Vietnam. But what the film actually exposes is the war itself is a terrible experiment in the minds of men. The war itself uh, alters the mind and dramatically changes who we are as people. It takes something that's intrinsically you away from you and that is, in this case, your ability to perceive the world accurately. And this happens because of PTSD and trauma and everything that you see that you would see in war and that you see in all of the flashbacks uh, throughout the film. And we see this being taken away from Jacob throughout the film. Um, and it's what most of the horrific imagery in the film is predicated on. It's this flawed lens through which Jacob Singer and those like him, in this case his fellow uh, Vietnam veterans, view life uh, because of this past trauma. And it is because of trauma. I think that one of the things we have to get through first is just kind of like identifying exactly what the film is about. And I can tell you that the film on its sleeve says that it's a film about drugs. It says that it's a film about mind-altering drugs. Um, and it plays that way throughout the entire film. But we know... Um, because of some other things that it's not necessarily just about that. Uh, and let me give you some detail. Our most salient clue that this is not just about uh, drugs himself is that Jacob Singer not only struggles with the past images of these like demons of this uh, of his like wartime experience, he struggles uh, with the death of his child Gabe. And the recurring imagery here is uh, exacerbated, I think, by Jacob's disinterest in his children's children that are still alive. Because every time we see his children, they're not really shown in the same light. Uh, Gabe is clearly up on a pedestal for him. 
Uh, we see that at his flashback when uh, he's putting Gabe to sleep again. We have to tuck him in. His sons, uh, his two other sons, are in a bunk bed, and Gabe, you know, is by himself. And kind of adding to that too, the other two kids are they're fine, but a little bit maybe obnoxious, less uh, innocent than uh, Gabe himself. Uh, and I think those memories are biased. I don't think they're totally accurate. I think that we're supposed to know that they're not accurate. Uh, and we see that. We see that with Gabe. And again, this tells us that this film is about trauma and not about the drugs themselves because we see these these memories play out over and over again uh, for Jacob. And specifically, there's one moment when we see Gabe actually dying. So this is our first sign uh, that this is not about drugs. And so now that we have this understanding of what Jacob is struggling with, we have more access to exactly what the film is trying to say with all these elements. I think the most important thing to bring up is that this film is always hinting back towards imagery, imagery that plays with what we might call uh, perspective. Um, and what I mean by that is kind of subjectivity. Uh, there's lots of very bizarre imagery <laughs> in the film, uh, demonic imagery. And I think most of us know that that doesn't exactly exist. Um, but the point is, is that it does for Jacob. And it dramatically affects who he is in the present. This is like the subjectivity of what it is to just see something, you know, like what it, what it is for someone to see something and feel something. And the point here is that the past kind of lives in the present. It's inescapable. I mean, the way that Jacob sees the world is completely affected by everything in his past. These memories play a dramatic role in informing the the film forming the narrative um and and we see that in multiple different ways there's a few scenes in which this trauma is uniquely shown i think the the first one to really discuss here happens around the midpoint right after the scene um, with the strobe lights at the party um where the uh the palm reader actually tells him that he's already dead uh where demon imagery appears to jacob as his girlfriend dances with another man the party where he screams collapsing on the floor terrified so all this happens, and they go back home, and he's at home with a fever over 106. I mean, clearly on death's door, essentially. He's pushed into an ice bath to survive that night, and that scene is chaotic. There's crazy things going on, and clearly Jacob does not understand what's going on. Um, he's even saying that he's freezing, when, when in reality he's burning up. In this scene, we flash back a couple different times. First, we flash back to the scene where we see uh, his ex-wife, and we see Gabe. But then he's also flashed back to Vietnam when we see the canopy of trees overhead as he's presumably being uh, carried on a stretcher after he was injured in war. We hear the sounds of the helicopter. We hear the sounds of everything. And we see the trees going by, and the camera forces our view upward. And then we cut to a shot of Jacob's eyes, and we still hear the helicopter. We still, still hear all these other sounds. And as we pull back, we see he's in the bathtub. And this is really important because I think that this moment shows us that this trauma is living in the present. This isn't gone anywhere. He's living this over and over again. There are multiple scenes like this. Another and perhaps the most effective in my mind is uh, immediately after the mo most horrific scene in the film where he's taken to this surgery room after going through like spirals of hell, um, really disturbing stuff. And as he gets there, his girlfriend is there and there's a surgeon uh, with no eyes, again, playing on that perspective. Um, and that man plunges a needle into his forehead, actually. But beforehand, 
the surgeon, uh, he's talking with him. Jacob is being essentially held down, restrained down. And Jacob pleads with reality, saying, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And the doctor replies, what is happening? I think that, again, we're playing a lot with perspective here and, and what is actually going on. Um, and then we immediately get another hit at that when we're in the hospital room. This is immediately after this surgical scene, this horrific scene. His ex-wife, Sarah, is there um, with his two sons. And she tells him she loves him. And he looks hopeful for a moment. This is after he's kind of reconciled. He's like, I'm alive, I'm not dead. I'm alive, I'm not dead. And again, she tells him she loves him. And we hear a voice off screen say, dream on. And it's a really menacing voice. He looks past the camera, terrified, and begins crying. And, and throughout the film, there's one thing that's really important. We never see Jacob in the same shot as, as this demonic imagery. And I think the whole point is that there, there's clearly reality being played with here, that he's seeing something that's not necessarily there. But that does not change his reaction to it. And that does not change his world. His world is defined by this, this kind of terrifying imagery. And so his actions are based on that. And when he says that he's living in hell... We have that fully explained by Jacob's chiropractor, who acts as a sort of like therapist throughout the whole film, actually. He provides Jacob like comfort uh, when he needs help. He adjusts his back um, after he hurts it, which apparently his back is kind of like a, a metric for understanding his state of mind, I think, in a way. Um, he needs an adjustment. I mean, honestly, they play with this quite a bit. Uh, I think there's even a scene uh, when Jacob says he's in pain. And the doctor literally just says, straighten out your head. I mean, they, play, they do a lot of kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff like that um, where they're kind of associating this physical pain um, with kind of getting your head straight or, you know, just coming to peace with things. In a scene late in the film, Jacob tells him that he was in hell. He tells the chiropractor that he was in hell. And the chiropractor gives him a piece of, like, crucial advice. And this is exactly, this is what the film is all about. He says, the only part of you that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of your life. Your memories, your attachments, they all burn away. In this case, the part of Jacob, Jacob Singer that he can't help but relive over and over again are these traumatic experiences. Losing his child, the sheer horrific brutality of war, especially war in Vietnam. Since he's unable to let these memories go after they're burned into his consciousness for the rest of his life, he's forced to live in this hell. And this is exactly what Jacob's Ladder is about. It's about the fact that trauma forces you to live in a consistently changing world, in one that may not be in reality, one where paranoia affects your decision-making and changes the way that you see the world. This is reality for everybody. This is the, sub the subjective nature of the way that we view the world. And it's consistently affected by our past. But this isn't just the end of it. This sets up another major comment the film makes. Since we know the film is about trauma, and we see the explanation for this imagery uh, in the chiropractor's words, we can go straight to what Jacob Singer thinks the actual problem is. That is the experimental drugs being used on soldiers in war. And, and now we can really see it for what it actually is. It's the war itself. It's the experiences itself. And it's the way the men were thrown into combat, and in this case, a, a political experiment. 
But that's that is the trauma. That that's the experiment, and that's that's what everything gravitates around. And Vietnam is perhaps the best example of this kind of war. Uh, but I do believe soon we will face the same issues with traumatic experiences in the Middle East. The way that war is held nowadays is much more like a political game, like a political experiment. Jacob's Ladder certainly didn't preempt the war in the Middle East, but it, it, it continually comments on it. And it only becomes more poignant the farther we get away from Vietnam itself. And, and if you look up, for instance, the, the stats on uh, PTSD from Vietnam, it's just atrocious what's been done. More veterans have committed suicide than died in Vietnam to begin with. And all of this is because of that flawed perception, that distorted lens through which you view life after this trauma. You can't get away from that because it is now who you are. Michael, the man who helped uh, synthesize these terrible drugs, the ones they used to experiment on soldiers with, tells Jacob that under the influence, the Kong didn't kill anybody. The men killed each other. I think this is a really powerful comment on suicide after the war. After Jacob arrives home after being in the hospital, he sees Gabe skipping away, but he sees this through a dirty, distorted mirror. Jacob leans in, and he touches the glass, and demons flash before his eyes. He's terrified. And with our new perspective, we can go back and hear the chiropractor tell us, if you're frightened of dying and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. And he continues on. It's all just a matter of how you look at it. That's all. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Monolith Medium podcast. We will have another podcast in the coming weeks. This one will be over a serious man, the Coen Brothers masterpiece of a film. Um, over the next month, too, we will be sequentially releasing our uh, literary contest winners. I'm very excited to bring those to you. And we'll be doing this all coinciding with other film reviews and other content as well. Thank you very much. This has been Brett Hoy for Monolith Medium. <laughs>